presenting to you the interactive space for critical and objective open thinking with Martian UFO produced by Martian UFO Media the best podcast on air with your hearty host catch episodes weekly on Apple and Spotify podcasts How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good. good. Pretty me... good. Yes. Turn my camera on for you. There you go. Getting a lot done. Yeah, on a Friday. Hello. Hi. Nice to Hello. meet you. Hello. How you doing? I'm Eli. I'm Hardy. Hardy. Yes. Um. Oh, and my hair's a mess. I never look in the mirror. So then when I see All myself good. on good. on Zoom, I'm like, holy <laughs> shit. Yeah, no, I feel you on camera. It's a lot, a lot different. I'm not really, I don't uh, feel the same appearance or whatever, but yeah. I also get kind of antsy. So I ride my exercise bike while I talk. So if you see me going like this. For real? Doing totally. That's No, that's dope. I mean, I feel like that would help me. <laughs> you definitely. Because I, oh, I do so many meetings now. Mm-hmm. It really helps me not get too antsy definitely i like that i might have that actually that's very good mm. all what right have up to, what have you been up to today for the broadcast so let's far? see all of a sudden i have all these legal cases starting all at once for my expert witnessing i've got um two different divorces that just came up yeah. out of nowhere um and you know i kind of understand what you, you're talking about because i i went last night and i uh i subscribed to your youtube and i started i watched the video the last one that you did from last year and i like that so i kind of got like a bit of a um you know dip the toes in the water for a little bit just to see what mm-hmm. great i can't when i did something um on law last year that's on youtube Mm-hmm. I do so many things I don't even remember. What's up there? <laughs> oh, you were talking about uh, family and uh, the children, and just just how the dynamics and the polyamorous families work. You know, when the children leave the home, and uh, things like divorce, and uh, how 
it's hard. And sometimes you, I remember you said specifically the parents might draw back so that their child can have a, a relationship with the in-laws parents. And that specifically, I, I remember that and everything like that in the, in the video. So cool. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. glad you enjoyed it. Found it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Yeah. Definitely. Well, I've never really known a lot about polyamory, to be honest. And I like looking at your profile, seeing that you're the leader, basically. You're the number one person to go to, especially with families and children. So Yes, definitely about the families and kids, not about mm-hmm. some other things, I would say. But no. The field's gotten I, a lot bigger. It used to be much smaller. Yes. Now there's a ton of people researching. So. Mm-hmm. Do you think generally uh, the society has become more accepting? to um are we taping should because this would be good okay. stuff for the show oh yeah oh yeah we're live okay. right now <laughs> Great. oh we're going out live to everybody well hey I'll, so that's what live means up in the corner yeah there. oh yeah it's all you can't uh, can't hide nothing we're all, you know you see everything. <laughs> um i would say that it has become definitely more um socially acceptable more widely known definitely in the past 10 years especially but really since the internet that changed everything (laughs) for people being able to find each other and meet each other and get advice and and you said the online space is quite big for yes and even sorry sorry sorry. That's okay. <laughs> um, even finding out that it's an option. Like you can be monogamous or cheat or negotiated and be consensual about it. I think yeah. a lot of people don't really know about that third option. So in the past 20 years, it's just been so much well, more. That's, that's very interesting, right? Because a lot of people, the, uh, the cheating thing, that comes up a lot like where's the line where's the discrepancy between cheating and then when it's you know we got an arrangement it's consensual like how do you yeah you talked about when one partner wants to be monogamous and then the other person is a non you know non-monogamous and how that works out that's really hard um generally the line between cheating and consensual non-monogamy is does everyone know about it has everyone had the ability to talk about it and say, this is what I want from this. What do you want from this? Mm-hmm. How are we going to structure this? You know, is it negotiated or does one person just do it and then come back and say, by the way, honey, I've been hooking up with somebody else. We're polyamorous now. <laughs> that never goes well. No, no, That's not, not a good way to start it at all. <laughs> but, um, when people negotiated and talk about it before they do it. Mm-hmm. And I think when people especially think about how are they going to feel when their partner has other partners, like it's easy yeah. for us to think, Oh, I could have that person and that person and that person. And wouldn't that be fun? You know, like for me, because, because with that, is it kind of unlimited for Polyon? Is it unlimited partners or, or, It depends on the relationship. Um, I would say some people do kind of have this unlimited desire for the new all the time. I think other people, especially if they have lasting and ongoing relationships, 
really it seems like two or three is about the most people can maintain over time once you get up into like five and six you just don't have enough time (laughs) yeah it's a lot to juggle but it depends it is and it depends on what they expect from you if it's five and six where you you know once a month meet and hang out for people together then it's easy to juggle five you know that's low stress but if it's people wanting you have five partners and it's important to all of them that you're with them on their birthday mm-hmm. then what happens on new year's eve yeah everybody either everybody's together or people are kind of like ah how do we work like, this out i'm with you like this year and that person next year yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it, it can be definitely a lot of work to figure out how to coordinate everything. So I guess that's one of the main reasons I usually say that polyamory is not for everyone. Certainly not no. for everyone. No, no. But for some people, it's really the only way they live. So? Oh, yes. Absolutely. I think it is as much of a form of orientation as sexual orientation. Yes. And I say that partially because I have a thing for polyamorous people, but I'm monogamous. Like when I'm in love with someone, I just love them. But for whatever (laughs) reason, I just, I have a thing for polyamorous people. So when I first start dating them, Mm -hmm. it's no problem. Like, sure, see anybody you want. But as soon as I fall in love, I'm like, oh. Oh, it's it's different. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now I want you to just want me. Yeah. That's that's so, very interesting actually. Yeah. And for some other people I've talked to mostly in my research, they've said that they've tried hard to be monogamous in the past. They've really tried. Mm-hmm. They put, you know, like everything they had into it. Sometimes because they were in a religious community where having sex outside your marriage was going to cost you Ooh, everything. Everything, yeah, yeah. You know, or sometimes because um, they had children and like a family business and this, you know, like a house and like just so much of a life built up that if yeah. they stepped outside of that, there could be significant consequences. Yes, I remember you said um, in polyamorous relationships and uh, I don't know between you and the United States and Canada sorry are they they don't rec- recognize it as a legal bond no so no. if you split you said something about there being no alimony no no help the person who was in a better financial position before they their finances go up and the person who was um, kind of down their finances go down a little bit yeah um, yeah and they may not have access to the kids anymore yeah which is a really big deal if they help to raise the kids they won't get visitation or custody mm-hmm. if they have no biological or legal relationship with that child they can't ask for custody i mean the parents could allow them to see the child and in some cases that happens mm-hmm. Especially if it's a collegial breakup or things kind of change over time and people aren't really super angry at each other. And especially if there's um, someone in the kind of larger family network, what the polyamorous call a polycule. Yeah. Kind of the family. 
if there are people who weren't having sex with each other in the polycule, those are the people that have an easier time connecting around the kids. Like, hey, let's meet and go bowling or something. These two people who have, you know, maybe still a friendship. Yeah, that kind didn't of a, change as much. Exactly. Kind of one, yeah. Exactly. So I made up a word for that: polyaffective. Polyaffective. I bet you. That. I bet you have your own dictionary of poly terms that, because you're writing so many books that. <laughs> and the polyamorous people make up all sorts of words mm-hmm. because there aren't words to describe things like they made up the word compersion to describe the opposite of jealousy where you see your partner with someone else having fun and you're like, oh, that's so great. Yay them. I want them to have fun. Mm-hmm. That's conversion. So they make the, up a ton of words. Kind of like the kind of positive jealousy, not jealousy, but it would be. In situations that might make some people jealous, mm. it's a feeling of happiness for your partner. For sure. So it's kind of almost easier to understand. It's like, let's say your sister gets a raise at work. You know, you don't get that raise. It's not doing anything for you, but you're happy for her Mm -hmm. because she got it. Absolutely. It's whatever that feeling is for your partner. Right. And you might be, maybe your sister gets a raise and you are jealous of her (laughs) or you could feel happy for her. You know, Mm -hmm. it could go either way. Same with this partner. Definitely. Definitely. Oh, I thought the Wi-Fi was down here. Um, so I was going to ask you, being not being a polyamorous person, you're a monogamous person, how did you first get into this space? I fell in love with someone who wanted to have multiple partners. Mm-hmm. And I thought it meant that I was too fat or bad in bed which a lot of monogamous people, when they hear their partner wants other people, they're like, it's a lack on my part. Yeah. Because when I'm really in love with someone, I don't really want other people. You no. know, I'm, no. I can kind of notice that they're attractive. It's not like I'm deadened to the world, but it's all noticing up here. It doesn't travel any further south in my <laughs> body. I'm all like, oh yeah, nice, you know? Yeah. Um, Whereas I think for people who are deeply polyamorous, that's not the case. It's not that there's a lack in their partner. It's that no matter who they're with, they will always want multiple partners. They're just wired that way. They are literally constructed that way, the same way some people are heterosexual and other people are gay or bi or whatever. Um, I think some people are just oriented towards multiplicity. <laughs> yeah. So it's the problem when one of us who's more mono and the other person who's more polyamorous yeah. get together. It's just a mixed orientation marriage or relationship Absolutely. in a way. And it's difficult. It's difficult to compromise on monogamy. Kind of you are either monogamous or not it's like having a baby you can't have a little bit of a baby no you know if you're truly monogamous (laughs) that comes with a set of expectations that don't really allow for having sex with other people no no so some people are able to work that out 
Um, and for some people, it's incredibly difficult. And even if they really love each other deeply, it doesn't always work. No. Sometimes, you know, they split up. Like and it's, it's challenging. Mm-hmm. And I see it a lot. I, I do a relationship coaching practice. Yes. And I think I maybe people gravitate to me for that specifically because I'm so familiar with it and they there's a little bit of a thing in some polyamorous settings where they're like if you were truly evolved you could be polyamorous like you're just not polyamorous because you're too kind of small and grasping and immature and if you were just evolved then of course you could love more people and first of all bullshit on that mm-hmm. <laughs> and do you, do you feel that sorry do, do you feel that society kind of places it on people to be monogamous especially if you do come from like a religious background and things like oh, that yeah. absolutely so that it's kind of an overreaction to that some yeah. people call that society pushing monogamy on you mm-hmm. they call it compulsory monogamy yeah and um, I tried to name that, talk about making up words, I tried to name that in 1997. I named it monocentrism. And my colleagues were like, that's a terrible word. We're not using that word. <laughs> so I made that word up and nobody uses it. Everybody no. uses compulsory monogamy instead. So I'm like, all right, I'll use that word. Here we go. They're like, they're like two words instead of one. That's what it is. Or yeah, just, it, I, I guess it was confusing. It sounds, mm-hmm. monocentrism sounds too much like you're being alone. Like, or something, I don't know. So compulsory monogamy is clearer, and I've adopted it with the field. Uh, So that kind of holier-than-thou idea around uh, polyamory could certainly be a reaction to compulsory monogamy. Like, you get monogamy stuff down your throat all the time, then in turn... There's, you know, if you're in the subculture of polyamory, you're getting polyamory stuff down your throat. Yeah. It's just a bit of friction, kind of. Yes, it can be especially difficult for the mixed orientation folks. And when people come to you for the relationship coaching, do they, uh, does that kind of tie into the bonding project? Because I did that. Oh, that's a, yeah, Yeah. you you took the test. Awesome. I want to hear how you did. I, uh, um, yeah, I'll give you my results. <laughs> um, awesome. Actually, that my coaching practice and the bonding project are separate, but I have been suggesting to my coaching clients that they check out the bonding project. Mm-hmm. Um, the bonding project is a test people can take online right now, although it's great on your phone. It works probably mm-hmm. best on your phone, but I take it also on a laptop. For sure. Um, and hopefully it'll become an app in the near future yeah easier um but it helps you kind of think about whether you might want to bond one to one one to many many to many or solo and then in each of those four categories it tells you if you are comfortable Mm -hmm. curious cautious or challenged and how did you how what did you think of the test you took it how long did it take i think it took me maybe 10 minutes 10 or 15 Uh minutes yeah i thought it was very good like these questions aren't usually asked of people um anywhere in society or on in that kind of format so i thought that uh it would help somebody to 
help understand themselves. It's like taking a personality test or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed So how did your uh, results turn out? Well, let's see. I don't remember them kind of offhand, but I can bring it up here real quick. So and while you're I'm... looking for that, mm-hmm. I'll just say, um, right now the bonding project is just this one test. We are working on expanding that in the future. This is our kind of initial thing. Um in the future, we're planning on having a dashboard where people can take the same test over time and see how they change. Yeah. As well as take other tests about, for instance, what kind of um, living style do you want? Do you want to live by yourself or with you know, one other person, or... multiple people? Like, how do you do you want to be able to have friends over? Do you want kind of a an oasis where you're by yourself and people don't mess with you, you know, yeah. things like that. Yeah. And then being able to compare results with other people too in that dashboard yeah. thing. So that's where we're headed. Absolutely. Well, I have them here. Uh, so it says that uh, I had a challenge with a form of one-to-one bonding. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Huh? <laughs> Curious with a form of one-to-many bonding comfortable with the form of many-to-many bonding and comfortable with the form of solo bonding, which I forget what solo bonding is. Solo is either um, being single and Mm -hmm. dating other people or being single and not dating or having a range of ongoing relationships that some of them are friendships, some of them are romantic some of them are sexual you know like it's not kind of built around having a partner you're not built around this is my spouse and everything revolves around them you're built around kind of mostly yourself and then doing your own thing as it works for you it's kind of more fluid and independent for sure sure. some people call it relationship anarchy some people call it solo polyamory. For other people, it's just being single or dating. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of definitions for it. So it's interesting that you're challenged on one-to-one bonding. Do you <laughs> find that in your life? Would you prefer to have a range of partnerships instead of one person all the time? I'm curious. I question, right? You know, I do come from that heavily religious background. I was, uh, uh, I was raised heavy Catholic, mm-hmm. heavy Catholic. And so in the last couple of years, I've kind of stepped away from the church a little bit and just been, you know, just asking questions and about different things. And, you know, I keep hearing that as we kind of move forward into the future, you know, the next couple of years, polyamory and that kind of lifestyle, uh, the alternative type of lifestyle is being accepted more and more by societies all, all around the world. I'm not sure like, and so I just thought that the, the topic was interesting and how how easy it would be uh, for, for it to be accepted by, you know, people for different generations. And, and if um, it would be like out wide in the open or if it would still kind of be closed door. You said, you know, a lot of the meetings happen at night. People mainly connect online and that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. And they also live in extended families. I mean, online has been super important during COVID. It's been one of the primary ways. For sure. People have been hanging out and meeting each other and dating. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not, people definitely do a lot of their relating as a family. You know, a lot of polyamorous life is folding laundry and having a glass of wine while you watch Netflix. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's very <laughs> mundane. It's a lot of like helping the kids with their homework and picking people up from soccer practice. Absolutely. Somebody just commented and said, this is so interesting. I'm just responding. I'm going to see uh, maybe if there's anything that they would want to ask you as well, since we have people watching, right? Um, Can you hear my background sound? Is that bothering you? Oh, no, it's all good. Okay, um, great. You can probably hear mine too. I got the heat going right now, so you can probably hear that maybe. <laughs> no, no problem. So between your travels, um, kind of teaching at different universities, um, did you find kind of a difference or a correlation between the the people, the students you were teaching, and then and, and, um, did you do kind of the relationship stuff there? Did people come to you for help or consulting or? Mm. You know, I generally keep those things separate, actually. Teaching in the university, mm-hmm. I'm very much, you know, the professor. I'm, you know, I will help you with your term paper. I will talk to you about whether graduate school is a good choice and how to do that. I will, you know, suggest which class you take next, but there's, I think, there's <laughs> a bright line there yes. where, yeah. like, doing relationship talk in that setting. Yeah. You know, even if they come to me for help, I can definitely direct them to resources. For sure. But <laughs> I don't, it's I not, wouldn't, yeah, no. no. Can't make those um, two things. But I have had students volunteer for my research to be interviewed for research students who are like, hey, I grew up in a polyamorous family if you're still looking for people to participate, and I'm definitely still looking for, especially people who are, who grew up in multiple partner families, multiple yes. adult families to still participate. Because um, you're still running your longitudinal study. Yep, the yes. research is ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm actually especially interested in black and other people of color. My original sample Mm-hmm. is pretty white because, well, I started in 1996 and the people who felt safe to be out and talking to research and especially to a white researcher <laughs> who <laughs> might time, yeah. judge you for, you know, I mean, there's a lot of stereotypes about black sexuality, about Latina, you know, like people of color in general labor under a lot of stereotypes and to have a white researcher be like, so tell me about your multiple partners. Yeah. Feel yeah. So not that no black or other people of color participated in my research. I do have some respondents of color, but it's still kind of heavy on the white people, especially among the children. So I'm sure. looking for people, more diverse people who were raised in multiple partner settings to you see think- do you think it's kind of like in terms of uh, it, do you think there's kind of a stigma between different uh, different races and it being accepted more and, you know, being accepted less by certain people and everything like that? Um, I think not necessarily the practice of multiple partner relationships. I think that crosses 
all sorts of racial and ethnic and social class, but calling it polyamory, labeling it in that specific package, that's a pretty white package historically (laughs) that has become much more diverse, I would say, especially in the last 10 years. Um, people, People of color have become driving forces in the leadership of many polyamorous communities. They've started doing all sorts of fantastic research. Uh, Kevin Patterson wrote this great book, Love's Not Colorblind. That's an awesome, I would say, the foundation. Oh, it's so good. Mm -hmm. Um, So things are definitely changing there. For sure. But especially, I've been doing this research for 25 years. So 25 years ago, it was less safe to come out as polyamorous. So I definitely think people have always had multiple partner relationships but they haven't necessarily there's a very white way to come out about it it's like listen to me i'm going to tell you you are going to listen you know here it is laying it all out and that's not right for everyone and i think in many other settings there's kind of like uncle joe and people know you know like uncle joe's around yeah. Make a big deal out of who Uncle Joe is. Yeah. You know, like, it's cool. He's he's coming over for Thanksgiving. Welcome, Uncle Joe. Nice to see you again, you know. And you don't have to have a big announcement about, listen, Uncle Joe is this, you know. So this kind of out loud and proud thing that really came out of the HIV activism movement, where really silence did equal death. You had to speak up or you were going to die. Um, it's not the only way to be out, to handle talking to people. You appear to have frozen. I'm not sure if you can hear me or see me. It seems like the timer is still going. What else was I going to say? Oh, now it's apparently just me. Where it stopped. Okay, still live. Okay. Yeah, what happened there? We lost the connection there for a second. But I think we're good now, hopefully. Yes. So, um, I forgot what you were saying. We were talking about why, like, how multiple partners cross lots of, of. racial and ethnic and social class categories, but it's not always the way polyamorous people or that community does it, which tends to have this very white aesthetic or perspective on the right way to come out. And there's only kind of this one right way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you kind of, you mentioned um, books when you were speaking about that. So I guess kind of speak to your, your books a little bit. We got, you know, some viewers on here. Maybe they'd like to check them out, read them. You have many, and you're still working on a lot more books. Yeah, it's true. My first book mm-hmm. is The Polyamorists Next Door, and that talks about the first 15 years of the study, kind of presents the families and some background, their advantages and disadvantages. Mm-hmm. Um, the second book is Stories from the Polycule, which is an... It's fun. It's, re- it's yeah. light, and it's... Um, do I have it right there? There's my new one right there. Um, hey. I'm just going to grab it. Um, Absolutely. 
That one's really light, Stories from the Polycule. It's an edited volume of, um, oh, so I just have the, oh no, here it is. Hey. Yay. So here's two of them. I only see two in here right now. So here's Stories from the Polycule. Okay. Um, and it's stories that polyamorous people have written and I edited. So it's kind of like a day in the life of polyamory or something like that. Um, this cool. one is my na- my newest book, Children in Polyamorous Families. Yeah. And this one, I don't know if you can see, it's so sh- short and small. It's really for, whereas this one is much thicker. Um, yes. This one is really for just a condensed overview of my research findings on kids so it's written for lay people it's the kind of book like if your mother-in-law finds out you're in a polyamorous relationship and is like oh no is this going to be bad for your children (laughs) you can give her this book and say you know it's it's short it's small you can read it in an hour and then let's talk about it so it it provides a perspective grounded in research but written for anybody to read um what else did i write when someone you love is polyamorous is my is a my third book i think um and that is also would be a good one to give your mother-in-law it's also grounded in research findings but it's more (laughs) of an overview of this is what polyamory is based in the research. This is how, this is who does it. This is why more kind of introduction aimed at people who are not in polyamorous relationships, just to understand it from the research perspective. To be able to, to, I guess, I guess I was going to say help people feel more comfortable with it, but uh, it's not really something that's uncomfortable in the, for the most part like oh i think some people are incredibly uncomfortable with it very uncomfortable with it yes um i the expert witnessing i do are <laughs> people are getting their kids taken away seriously because for they're real. in polyamorous relationships they they sometimes they get fired they um get they lose their housing yeah things bad things can happen to people if they come out as polyamorous which is why this idea this very white idea of everybody should be out all the time mm-hmm. is just not smart for no. some people i mean if you own your own home you own your own business and you're a millionaire so you can afford some kick-ass lawyers <laughs> then sure yeah. come out no problem yeah. But if you have an ex that might want to take your kids away or a religious parent who might worry about their grandchildren, do not come. It's not safe. It's mm-hmm. not safe. So mm-hmm. um, so do you, to that regard, do you think that the government will ever um, recognize polyamorous relationships? It's really, it's starting already in various places. Somerville, Massachusetts mm. passed um, in the summer of 2020, passed the first really recognized, um, it was around healthcare and multiple partners being able to access each other, not only each other in the hospital, but cover <clears throat> each other with healthcare insurance. Very Cambridge, true. Massachusetts. Um, just passed something and 
they're in they're kind of rewriting it now with input from people in the polyamorous community because some of the things like there was a requirement that you had to be in order to be recognized and be able to share your health insurance you okay. had to be rec- in a socially recognized relationship so basically they were saying you had to come out like make an announcement before you could have health they force you they force you to exactly <laughs> and the polyamorous community was like you know what that's actually not safe for us please don't make us do that mm-hmm. um berkeley california has had um a, an ordinance protecting california's kind of more accepting i would say or or less you said california is kind of mm-hmm. one of the bigger hotspots that was um starting to allow and um recognize definitely more accepting i would mm-hmm. say than for instance texas or where i am right now tennessee or uh, alabama or arkansas louisiana any of these states in my area what not super <laughs> accepting well this region of the u.s this southeastern region um colloquial called the bible belt and yes. i i think some people are just very against any kind of unconventional sexuality largely on either religious terms or it's just a cultural um conservatism in a way mm-hmm. not that there aren't conservative areas of California absolutely but the state as a whole tends to have fairly liberal politics so if your custody of your children is challenged in California there's already a state precedent set for instance that you can have three parents legally which is unusual so, mostly you can only have two parents it's for them to allow a third legal parent is very unusual new york has also set that legal precedent but texas there is no way they're no going to let you have a third parent no no <laughs> So yeah, it just really, but there, there are a lot of people in consensually non-monogamous relationships in California. It's a very all up and down. The West Coast is a a concentration of not only that, but other kinds of sex and gender minorities, gay people, bisexual people, transgender folks, gender non-binary people. There you were. A lot of people are there. They feel comfortable with each other and you can intermingle and things like that. Like, Exactly. And the laws and the legislation is more supportive of that in California. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Why do you think that there's a, a discrepancy between the, the pioneers, the veterans, the people who are, were in this space and kind of set the groundwork? Because you said that they, they feel neglected or, or not really... Um, they, they, they don't feel cared about by the younger people who are coming in who feel like they've you know done all the work and and they're just here now and you know why why is that you think the, that disconnect between the two i think that's a larger generational shift we're seeing really between um especially the baby boomers and the millennials and generation z that the millennials and the zoomers they just have a lot more fluidity and they're not interested in these very tightly defined categories of identity like you know are if you're going to say that you're a lesbian for instance then 
could you, does that mean you've never had sex with a man in your life? Or is it okay if it was 20 years ago? How about 10 years ago? How about this morning? Can you still call yourself a lesbian? You know, and for the generation, (laughs) for the millennials and Gen Z, they're like, who cares? Why are we talking about that? But for the boomers, they're like, they had to fight so hard for that social recognition. They had to really just, I mean, it cost them not only blood, sweat, and tears, but their lives as well for some of them. So they're like, you're just throwing away these categories, these categories that we invested. It's our life's work to build recognition of this and you're just casting it off? What? So it's this kind of push and pull. And I think both of them have valid reasons, you know, and there are people in the millennial and the Zoomer generation that are like, hey, props to you, old folks. Thank you for starting Pride. Thank you for establishing gay bars. Thank you for fighting so hard for protections and legal things and other folks are more like why are you whining about this pride i'm gonna go be fabulous at pride and stop all the serious things you know my Mm -hmm. molly's kicking in why are you bothering me (laughs) yeah yeah just just the different difference between generations yes Mm -hmm. yes so you're also involved in kind of a uh a different area in your expertise. Um, the uh, I wanted to ask you about the the kink media some stuff. We'll be kind of break into that a little bit. And Absolutely, you know they've got yeah. the same generation gap there. Exactly the same thing that you see among the gay and lesbian community and the polyamorous folks. That you've also got it in the kink community. Yeah, because um, that's a very very alternative lifestyle, right? Yeah. So. Um, what have you, I guess, kind of characteristics have you found about that community? I mean, do you have people that come to you for those types of uh, consultant questions or relationship questions and stuff like that? Or Yeah, sometimes um, people will come to my um, relationship coaching business saying, you know, they're interested in checking out kinky sex, but they're not really sure how to get started. Mm-hmm. And so I help them find resources and considerations we talk about um how you know like kind of expectations in the setting what to wear um how to handle (laughs) things if somebody comes on to you and you don't want to connect with them what do you say you know so we can go through and i can direct them to all sorts of resources and there's there's a lot of people who, I mean, I I guess in one sense, it is an alternative lifestyle, absolutely. But in in another sense, kinkiness is so pervasive, it's really not alternative at all. I mean, think about spanking during sex. A lot of people do that. A lot of people do that. (laughs) And for some people, that's really kinky. For other people, it's like kind of not that big of a deal. Or pretending to be someone else during sex, even in your own head. That is incredibly common. And those are two primary features of kinkiness. Pretending to be somebody else, role-playing is super common. And what they call impact play, which can be spanking or flogging or whipping or caning or paddling. I mean, there's a zillion things. Slapping. Um, You know, like spatula, 
whacking, you know, like all yeah. sorts of different, any kind wow. of whacking at all is called yeah. impact play. Um, I think one of the most important things to know about BDSM is, or kinky sex, is that it has to be negotiated. It's really important to talk about it first. Because even if you think it's hot, if you haven't talked to someone and you just start choking them during sex, you know, that may be super hot. They may even like it, but they might feel like you're trying to kill them. It may freak them out. They may, you know, even if they don't tell you to stop, they might freeze like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. What the hell? So, um it's really important. Like the difference between abuse and kinky sex is the negotiation and the ability to stop it. If you don't like it, like abuse, you can't say, I'm not liking this abuse. I, I, can we stop now? You know, whereas in kinky sex, you should be able to say, use a safe word and say, calling it off. You know, this isn't working anymore. Let's stop and figure out what just happened. And maybe try again a different way, or maybe not, you know, but stop and talk about it. For sure. And so I guess the importance of communication across all different types of relationship styles, anything like that, oh, is yeah. just very much crucial. Yeah. Well, especially when you're going to kind of play with the edge like that. Communication's key anyway, but when you're doing something that really could be damaging to someone if they're not enjoying it. You know, if you're totally getting off on the spanking or whatever, then it's fun. But if the exact same thing, if someone's not enjoying it, can feel not just the physical impact of it, but it can just feel super violating and horrible. So you don't want that with your lovers. You want, you know, the fun. Definitely. The consent is what makes it a fun thing instead of a terrible thing. Yes, yes, yes. And so kind of uh, in closing here, I guess for our viewers, uh, just to explain um, all your titles again, you know, your expertise, where people can find you, your website and the blog, because I put that up there so people can go and check that awesome. out. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm Dr. Elizabeth Chef, but I usually go by Dr. Eli. Mm-hmm. I blog on Psychology Today under the name of my first book, The Polyamorists Next Door. You can find my website at elizabethchef.com. That's E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H-S-H-E-F-F.com. Um, you can also find the Bonding Project Test at bondingproject.com. Yeah. B-O-N-D-I-N-G-P-R-O-J-E-C-T. Com. And I, th- I think I think lots of people should take that. By the way, so I think a lot of everybody should take that. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. It's free. Yeah. It takes yes. about ten minutes. Mm-hmm. You get your results in an email pretty quick. It, you do, and that's it. And I just I think uh, in terms of going forward, like uh, for people who might be questioning, people who are just seeking or, or asking questions, like it's uh, it's a good base, a good foundation to understand, like. You know, especially when it explains the uh, the solo bonding, the many to many, one to many, um, giving you those uh, terms for you to be able to define is uh, is very good. So mm-hmm. that's great. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Absolutely.
Absolutely. Well, I, yeah, I appreciate you coming on, Dr. Eli, and for all the information that you gave, supplements and knowledge. I think the conversation was very informative, very good, because I don't usually cover um, stuff like this. But when I saw it, I was like, no, we got to talk about this because especially the stuff that isn't really talked about in the forefront and the open spaces that has to be brought forward for um, people who want to be comfortable in that space, right? Like, yeah, the more conversation that we have about it is, uh, yeah. The better, definitely. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I had fun chatting with you. I had fun chatting with you too. Thank you. And I hope uh, maybe we can do this again in the future. Great. Yeah, maybe when my next book comes out. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Awesome. Yeah, I'd love to do your book. All right. Great. Okay. Take care, Dr. Yela. Right. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. All right, everybody. That was Dr. Eli um, on Floating in Space with Martian UFO, episode 60. And that's actually so, uh, the first official interview I've done. I hope you guys liked it. I just wanted to do that with her and have the conversation because I felt like the topic was kind of you know out there and a little bit different from the stuff that i normally cover it was something that if anybody's interested just to go look at uh, look into it and see what you think um anyways thank you for watching thank you for being there thank you for liking loving the videos commenting and i hope you guys share it um i'm gonna put it on youtube and everything like that it'll be out on the podcast later subscribe and yeah i'm gonna keep it going Keep floating and enjoy your Friday. Have a very good weekend. Take care, guys. I'll see you later.